You know, sometimes there are sermons that have a very narrow focus, sometimes sermons that are kind of medium, and sometimes with a very uh, broad, what, what you might call a bigger picture kind of sermon, and I think that's what I would call this one uh, that you're going to hear in a few moments. Uh, we turn to Hebrews 11 as our text and I'm going to read for you verses 1 through 8, 20 to 22, and 39 and 40. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found, because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us that apart from us they should not be made perfect. I'm sure that most of you have heard of that wonderful book, probably read it for children, known as Charlotte's Web. Charlotte's Web was written by a man by the name of E.B. White. And one time he wrote a description of his wife just a few months before her death as she was out planting bulbs in her garden. This is what he had to say. There was something comical yet touching in her bedraggled appearance. The small hunched over figure. Her studied absorption in the implausible notion that there would be yet another spring. Oblivious 
to the ending of her own days, which she knew perfectly well was near at hand. Sitting there with her detailed chart under those dark skies in dying October, calmly plotting the resurrection. Isn't that a wonderful phrase? Plotting the resurrection. All of us know people like that. People who plant the seeds of hope, the seeds of tomorrow, even in the times of uncertainty and death. We sometimes wonder, how, how are they able to do that? Or how are we? Well, Hebrews 11 gives us an answer. And it offers as the answer faith. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. By this faith, the people of old were commended. That is to say, they received divine approval. And by this same faith, we understand that the world was created by the Word of God. In just three small verses, our writer connects the past with the present and the future as well. It makes no difference if we lived in the first century or if we live in the 21st century. It makes no difference if we have decades of life behind us or decades of life in front of us. We're still connected by and still live within the realm of faith. In fact, after giving us his famous roll call of faith where he talks about so many people in this 11th chapter, this writer reminds us in the next chapter how we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Do you ever think about that? He was, our writer, a great cloud of witnesses. It's a very telling expression of what it means to be connected to a history, to a past, a tradition of generations such as we enjoy in the Christian church and such as we enjoy in the Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church. I once read part of an address given by the poet and author Angela Maya, I mean Maya Angelou. She said it is wise to remember England or Ireland, Italy or Germany, Norway or Sweden, Africa or Southeast Asia, China or Japan or wherever our roots lie. Obviously, as ARPs, we would add Scotland to her list. She said, it is wise to think, suppose I came face to face with my great-great-grandfather or my great-great-grandmother, and she looked at me and said, so you're the one. You are the reason. You're the one I took it all for. The reason I came across the ocean 
eating stale bread and drinking stale water, suffering all the pains of uprooting, you are the one. You are the reason. You are the result of my dreaming. We not only understand her words, but I think that most of us can make a connection with them. For we can think about those in our own covenanter tradition who signed the National Covenant of 1638 with their own blood. Or we can think about those who suffered through the so-called killing time of the 1680s or any other persecution that we would want to mention. We marvel at those who made the dangerous voyage to this new world in a tiny little ship. They were literally risking their lives so that they could worship as they believed the Scriptures taught. Because of their faith, they acted and persevered in order to pass on the faith to the generations following, even when they were unsure of what the future would hold. You see, they were plotting the resurrection. They were living a faith that plans for another day. And that means that you and I are beneficiaries of a plan. We've received a wonderful gift. And you remember how Paul talks about gifts to the church at Corinth. He says, what do you have that you did not receive? And if you received it, why do you boast? As if it were not a gift. We must always remember... However, that this practice of plotting the resurrection, of living out our faith, is, is not only something that just occurred in the past, but it's an ongoing practice. It's an ongoing discipline. It's a way of life for each succeeding generation of the people of God, and that includes you and me. It's how we are to live today. Therefore, like those who have gone before us, we would do well to invest ourselves in what has value now for the sake of the future, whether we think we'll ever see it or not. That's the example this wonderful 11th chapter of Hebrews offers to us in these heroes of the faith. Abraham looked forward to the city whose builder and maker is God, even when he lived in a tent. He looked forward to a city, but he lived in a tent. Isaac not only honored his parents, but blessed Jacob and Esau by invoking future blessings. And Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons, he wasn't going to see the fruition of those blessings. He was at the point of death. But he blessed them anyway. You see, he was plotting the resurrection. And as we read these by-faith stories that we have here before us in the 11th chapter, we come to a clear understanding of what faith really is to this 
person who wrote the book of Hebrews. For faith is not so much God's goodness to you or me. I mean, God's certainly a good God, and He is good to us, but that's not what He's talking about. It's not some creed to which we adhere. It's not a blind leap nor some sort of reflective devotion. Rather, it is action. It's confident action taken in response to who God is and the promises He has made. That's why we can read at the end of this chapter that all of these people, Abraham and Isaac, Jacob and Joseph, Moses, Gideon and others, they all died in faith before receiving any of the things that had been promised. But yet they acted and lived as if the promise was already realized because they knew the promise was true. Surely that's a lesson that you and I need to keep before us always. For we live in a society and a culture that lives for the moment that has to have it now, that proclaims daily through all sorts of avenues, why wait? Buy now, pay later. Because to our culture, the present is all that matters. But is it? This text not only points us to the present from the past, but also pushes us constantly to the future. Look at this great reference to Joseph here in verse 22. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the Exodus and gave directions concerning his burial. You know what he's talking about. He's talking about the end of the book of Genesis where Joseph took an oath of the children of Israel saying, God will visit you one day and I want you to carry my bones out of here. Have you ever thought about the fact that's a 400-year plan? I mean, just a few months ago, we celebrated 125 years as a congregation. Do we have a 400-year plan if the Lord should tarry? How about 300? How about 200? How about the next 125? Do we have anything like that? Have we even thought about it? Of course, it was a plan based on God's promise. And a plan that came to fruition. For when the children of Israel left Egypt, they remembered. And they not only carried all of the wealth of Egypt with them, but somebody had Joseph's bones in their cart or their wagon. It's apparent from his actions that Joseph believed deeply in the promise of a gift of land, a promise God first made to Abraham. But, but could he have ever known or imagined how fantastic the exodus would be? You see, that's how it is with us whenever we plot the resurrection. Our plans and those seeds of faith we plant many times produced 
a harvest more than we could ever dream or imagine. We see that over and over again in Scripture. And we see it repeatedly in church history. People who live by faith, who plot the resurrection day in and day out, seeing a harvest of more than they could have ever imagined. And I'll give you just two illustrations. And you've probably heard these stories before from me because they're too good to not talk about. The first is about a 15-year-old boy who was so miserable that it was snowing one Sunday morning and he still went out in that terrible storm because he was so miserable he wanted to find a place of worship that maybe he could be helped some way or another. And he ended up in a small little Methodist chapel. And by 11 o'clock there were only 12 people there. And the preacher wasn't one of them. You know those preachers. You can't ever depend on them. And as you can imagine, there were a lot, of, a lot of hasty whispering going on amongst the men of the church as to what was going to happen since the preacher wasn't there. And finally, one of them mounted the pulpit steps. He was thinking that surely all of those gathered there deserve something for braving the storm, especially this 15-year-old boy that no one knew. So he tried to make the most of his opportunity. The 15-year-old would later write that this pulpit stand-in was not polished at all. In fact, he didn't even pronounce his words properly. But he had good seed to sow with the Word of God. His text was Isaiah 45, 22. Turn to me and be saved all the ends of the earth. The boy said there was, I thought, a glimpse of hope for me in that text. And I listened as though my life depended upon every word I heard. God converted that young boy that day. He wasn't but 15. He only lived to be 57. But in the intervening years, he preached the gospel to literally millions of people. You may have heard of him, Charles Haddon Spurgeon. Thousands were converted through his ministry. You see that nervous but willing lay leader in that little chapel saw his meager but faithful efforts multiplied by the thousands in the next generation if he lived long enough to see it. Much the same could be said about an ARP pastor by the name of W.B. Lindsay. Now, Mr. Lindsay's important for several reasons. He's important to me with Bon Clark and just having celebrated their 100th anniversary. He was one of the original committee 
that went searching for a place for ARPs to have as a conference center way back in 1921. But he served in, in this denomination as a pastor about three or so generations ago. His sermons have been described as biblical but boring. But those... Now why are y'all laughing? But those biblical sermons continued to plant the Word of God in the lives of the people there in the Chalmers Memorial Church. There was a young boy in his congregation by the name of Billy. You would know him as Billy Graham. Who took the gospel to the whole world. And his organization and ministry continues to do that even today. In much the same way, this congregation, even if it's tired or discouraged, or a day like today when the people are up in the mountains and down at the beaches. And even this denomination, as small and seemingly insignificant as it is, if we remain steadfast and faithful, always planning, always plotting, even struggling through some cloudy times, We'll live to see a ministry beyond anything we could hope or imagine. Even though the resurrection might not come just as we expect or anticipate, with hope in God and our eyes focused on Jesus, who is the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, no effort is ever lost. Not Jacob's blessing or Joseph's bones or the hopes and dreams of those before us in the faith in Scotland or Ireland or England or Southeast Asia or Africa or wherever they're found. Nothing will be lost. Everything will be raised up at last, redeemed by Christ in a future more glorious than we could ever dream, or as Paul puts it in 2 Corinthians 4, in a weight of glory beyond all comparison. Hebrews reminds us, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, we run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Our writer could have just as easily said, let us continue to plot the resurrection. See what God will do in the days to come. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together.